I'm David Plott, MLEX's Managing Editor for Asia, based here in our bureau in Hong Kong. If you're new to MLEX's ongoing series of podcasts, we'd like to welcome you to our session today. And if you listened to our podcast before, welcome back. Today, we're looking at some startling developments in the area of antitrust, where stability has ruled the roost for some time now. We're talking about intellectual property, and more specifically about the patents that underpin industry standards. They're known as standard essential patents, or SEPs, in the trade. And our starting point today is the United States. Last month, the U.S.'s top antitrust official announced a big change in the way the U.S. would view those patents. That announcement by Macon Delrahim, the Assistant Attorney General for Antitrust in the U.S. Department of Justice, sent shockwaves throughout the antitrust world. Over the previous few years, competition authorities in many jurisdictions appeared to be reaching a consensus on how SEPs fitted into competition law. But now, following Del Rahim's remarks, some agencies seem to be rethinking their approach. Joining us now are three of MLEX's correspondents. Visiting Hong Kong from Washington, D.C. is Chief North America Correspondent Leon Nyland. From Brussels, we're joined by senior correspondent Matthew Newman. And with us from Japan is Toko Sekaguchi, a senior MLEX correspondent based in Tokyo. Welcome to all three of you. Thanks. Thank Hello, you. Thank you. Great. Thanks. Uh, Leah, what did Del Rahim actually say in his announcement that was such a game changer? And why should antitrust regulators elsewhere in the world take note? So Macon Delrahim is the new Republican head of the Department of Justice's antitrust division, and he just started in his job about a month ago. His speech in Los Angeles was one of his very first ones, and he called for, quote, fresh thinking in the intersection of antitrust law and standard essential patents. So as you said, these are the patents that are needed for industry standards, things like Wi-Fi or 3G and 4G communications. And under the Obama administration, the Justice Department had said it had concerns about conduct by the holders of these standard essential patents, something called holdup, where SCP holders refuse to offer a license unless a company agrees to pay high anti-competitive royalty rates. So what Macon said is he thinks that there's been too much focus on hold up and not as much on the opposite side of the problem, which is called hold out. And that's where companies refuse to pay for licenses to standard essential patents. That's a really huge 360 degree turn, looking at the patent licensees rather than the patent holders. Now, how is all of this likely to play out in U.S. antitrust enforcement? And and are, are the, the views that Del Rahim expressed, um, are those final or is that open to debate uh, uh, in the U.S.? As I said, this is sort of a reverse of the previous administration. It suggests that the DOJ may be looking into the conduct of implementers, companies like Apple, Samsung, or Intel, rather than some of the bigger patent holding companies like Qualcomm, Ericsson, or Nokia. And so there's another sort of side issue that he addressed in his speech, which relates to a 2015 business review letter that the DOJ issued concerning what's called the IEEE. The IEEE is a very important standards body in the US. It's in charge of one of the most important Wi-Fi standards in the world. Um, and in 2015, the IEEE had decided to change its policies that dictate the terms under which patent holders have to offer licenses 
if their patents get included in the standard. So the IEEE patent policy change was pretty controversial, and it was opposed by a bunch of the companies like Qualcomm and Ericsson, who offer a lot of technology into the standards. Uh, one of the changes had to do something with something called the smallest saleable unit rule, which is called SSO for short. You may have noticed here that people in standards really love a lot of acronyms. The smallest saleable unit rule essentially requires that a patent holder offer a license to a component maker rather than the maker of an end product. And that's important because patent royalties are generally calculated as a percentage of the price of a product. So if the patent holder is licensing to a chip maker, they're going to be getting a percentage of the cost of a $5 chip. By contrast, if they're licensing to a smartphone maker like Apple, the patent holder is getting a percentage of a $600 phone. So that's a lot more money. So what happened is in his speech, Dalrahim specifically said that if a group of implementers were to work together to require patent holders to use the small saleable unit rule, that conduct might lead to an antitrust investigation. Well, it's, it's been suggested in some quarters that uh, uh, the Delrahim's comments represent a clear victory uh, for innovators such as Qualcomm and Ericsson. And some say that victory will come at the expense of patent users or so-called implementers, as you said earlier, uh, companies such as Apple and Samsung. But is the situation more nuanced than that? I think it is. His comments were warmly received by patent holders like Qualcomm and Nokia, and they are clearly a break from the Obama administration, which had said that holdup was the much bigger problem. But I think that Macon's thoughts aren't really that outside the mainstream. I think if you if you look at one of the seminal decisions on SEPs that came out of Europe, the Huawei versus ZTE case, which came out of the European Court of Justice in 2015, it mentioned concerns both about holdup and holdout. So they said that patent holders have obligations to, for offering licenses, but they said licensees also have to show that they're willing to negotiate. So his thoughts aren't really all that out there, and um, it sort of remains to be seen what is going to happen as we move forward. Well, okay, well, let, let, let's go to Europe uh, then. Uh, Matthew there in Brussels. Um, how, how have uh, Del Rahim's comments been received in Europe? Uh, good morning and good afternoon. Uh, I just wanted to uh, point out that yesterday was a pretty important day uh, for Europe because there was a, a patent policy that uh, was finally released after a huge amount of uh, lobbying um, by both sides. Um, the official response from the Del Harahim uh, comments is rather uh, short and muted. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll just read it out for you. We've worked closely together with the US DOJ and FTC on issues relating to SEPs, most recently as regards injunctions. We look forward to continuing our cooperation. So that's their official comment that we actually received last night. Um, but behind the scenes, there's uh, obviously concern. Uh, when we talk to uh, the officials who are in charge of this policy, um, they've noticed this uh, about turn, about face turn. And what's concerning them most is that uh, there used to be a really a meeting of minds on SEPs, especially uh, when it came to uh, the, the big antitrust cases. Uh, Leah mentioned the Huawei ZTE, but there were also other ones involving um, Motorola and Samsung and Apple. Um, these cases really um, made the mark in the antitrust policy for Europe and it was, uh, as Leah was describing, all about 
hold up. And the um, EU, uh, through these decisions, developed a policy where if a company, a uh, patent holder, uh, had a technology uh, that was uh, part of a standard, and then a company um, that wanted to use it, the implementer, um, and was a willing licensee, if they sought a injunction against this willing licensee, that would be seen as an antitrust violation. And uh, that's really the bedrock of the policy, and that was followed by uh, the DOJ. Um, now that we have this new um, about-face turn, uh, it looks like the two sides are facing some major divergences on this important policy. Well, I, I wanted to pick up on that point you were, you were just making, uh, Matthew, about uh, the, the, the policy paper that was, uh, that was just uh, released. How consistent is that European policy with the new U.S. approach? Well, it's really been um, fascinating to see how this has evolved. Um, as I was noting, it's, it was really a massive uh, lobbying effort. I, I don't think I've, I've been working in Brussels for about 19 years, and I can only remember one other time where a piece uh, of legislation was lobbied more. Um, this one, there's a lot at stake here for Europe. Um, they've been trying very hard to be at the forefront of policy uh, in 5G technology. And in the end, it was really quite a um, disappointment for a lot of people. Um, when I spoke to the um, uh, the standards, the, the people who actually own the, the uh, technology, they said um, that uh, Europe is lacking a, a vision uh, about SEPs. And they, they looked at uh, making Del Rahim's speech and said, now there's a guy who actually has a vision because he's talking about the real problem, which is hold out that uh, the licensees simply don't pay the rates. So um, when I spoke to the European officials about their paper yesterday, uh, what they really wanted to stress is that they wanted to maintain their neutrality. They did not want to take sides in this whole debate. And they actually pointed to the back and forth of the U.S. policy. They say, look, well, three or four years ago, we had a DOJ that was really emphasizing the problem of hold up, and you had the business review letter by Renata Hesse. And then, um, you know, just a couple weeks ago, um, they've completely reversed that. So Europe looks at that and says, well, we don't want to do that. We want to um, stay out of the fray, and we want to maintain our neutrality. Well, okay, given that, then what, what should we expect out of the EU going forward? Well, going forward, the European Union is um, making a big point out of transparency. Um, they think that the um, SCP holders uh, do not actually uh, list the, their patents um, in a very uh, transparent way. And this comes down to the um, key uh, terminology about essentiality. And it, is that patent that's part of a standard actually essential to the standard. If it's not, then they shouldn't get paid for it, or if they should, you know, sh shouldn't even be in the, the standard. So there's a lot of back and forth about um, arguing over whether or not a patent is essential, and the EU wants to make sure that the standard-setting organizations um, police this a lot better. So that's the one 
main point in the communication. Um, so they're going to set up these databases and make sure that the patents are, are listed correctly. Um, secondly, they, uh, as I said, they had they, they didn't make a strong stance on licensing uh, and what 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 they consider is uh, fair, reasonable, and non-discriminatory. What they simply did is say, um, look, uh, we want the companies to work this out themselves. And um, one the fundamentals, and we'll provide some guidance. And one of their fundamental principles is there should not be um, the discrimination uh, between the same kind of uh, SCP licensees. So let's say if um, there's an, a smartphone maker um, and another smartphone, a rival smartphone maker, they both should get the same kind of terms. Um, those are the kind of principles that the EU reminded everyone, not very controversial in the SCP world. And then thirdly, um, they said they wanted to make sure that uh, with the um, Huawei ZTE decision that there would be consistency in how those new rules are applied in uh, national courts. So um, not a big policy uh, move by the EU, but um, they want to keep monitoring things and they've set up a task force. When you can't decide on any kind of firm policy, you set up a task force and you keep monitoring things. Okay, well, uh, thanks, Matthew. Now let's go to... to, to uh to Japan. Uh, Toko, what's the view of standard essential patents in, in Japan? Are, are, are regulators there more likely to adopt the new U.S. approach or the more neutral approach uh, uh, taken by the uh, EU, as, as Matthew just explained? Or will Japan blaze a trail of its own? Well, David, um, Japanese regulators are waiting just as eagerly as we are for the U.S. and the EU to clarify their approaches and are pretty much trying to keep step with the EU and the U.S. Um, earlier this year, the Japan Patent Office began a discussion of setting up an alternative dispute resolution system where the Patent Office could rule on disputes over SCP licensing fees. And uh, this was seen as quite a drastic move proposed to help J Japan rise its intellectual property status in the age of so-called Internet of Things, where every other device is expected to be connected. And the thinking behind this was, with all the crossover licensing, where you now have refrigerators and air conditioners communicating with phones and computers and each other, that um, Japan needs a way to help its companies, who are traditionally extremely reluctant to take disputes to courts and ADR centers, gain access and negotiate patent licensing. And this administrative dispute resolution was to help protect firms from patent trolls and, like uh, Leah explained, patent holdups. So uh, the focus was definitely more on the side of implementers or the users. And the idea of patent regulators deciding licensing disputes was outlined in the country's key economic policies and IP strategies from April till June. But uh, that's all changed in the last few weeks with the DOJ policy change. What has the response in Japan been to Rahim's speech specifically? Earlier this week, a panel of industry leaders and government uh, officials uh, formally agreed to scrap this new idea that they were discussing. And one of the main reasons given was the DOJ's move away from users in favor of patent holders, which uh, they saw culminated in Delarim's speech. Um, the patent officials said that given the global stage, 
in which Japanese companies need to compete, Japan's IP policy shouldn't diverge from other jurisdictions. Now, uh, to be sure, the, the JPO claims that it started backing away from the, the dispute resolution idea once it started discussing in depth with businesses and regulators, both domestic and abroad. Um, many deemed it too intrusive and possibly caused confusion if the patent office decision were overturned, say, in courts or private sector ADR centers. And they also said that patent trolls and holdup threats were overstated. But there's no doubt that the U.S. shift in policy had a huge impact here, given that Japan does not make huge policy reversals swiftly nor easily. So how do you see antitrust enforcement uh, involving standard essential patents playing out in the future in Japan? The, the patent office is now working on a guideline instead uh, to help companies navigate the SAP licensing waters. And this in itself could be quite significant because uh, patent officials told us that some of the issues to be discussed in the draft may include the office's thinking on licensing fees. And uh, for example, whether SCP royalties should be based on the smallest saleable unit, like uh, Leah was talking about, or the the value of the end device. This is quite a contentious issue because car makers who are pretty powerful in Japan, for instance, say it's not fair to pay licenses of a tiny data module of a connected car based on the entire market value model, because at the end of the day, a car's value is in its function as a transport machinery rather than say a data unit. And like the ADR idea, it won't be legally binding, but it will outline the position of the Japanese patent regulators. Um, the patent office is expected to finish up uh, drafting this uh, guideline within the year and release it for public comments early next year. Okay, in conclusion, let me go back to you, Leah. Um, do you expect uh antitrust regulators in the U.S. to reach out to their counterparts uh, in other jurisdictions to try to forge uh, a new consensus regarding uh, how SEPs should be treated? I wouldn't be surprised at all. Macon Delrahim's two big issues, he said since taking office, are one, SEPs, and two, international relations with other jurisdictions. So they have um, a, he has a deputy whose entire job is focused just on international relations. Uh, his very first speech, the one before this one in Los Angeles, was about the importance of international cooperation among antitrust agencies. And then the second one was on SEPs. So I think we, we will see a lot of DOJ discussion, perhaps lobbying towards other jurisdictions on this issue. Okay, Leah, uh, Matthew and Toko, thanks very much for bringing us your insights uh, on this once stable but now shifting part of the antitrust landscape. It's been my welcome. pleasure. Thank you very much. Right, thanks. thanks. Okay, if you'd like to read all our reporting on the constantly contested and newly changing field of standard essential patents, you can find it on our website. Head to mlexmarketinsight.com. Click on Insight Center, then click on Editor's Picks. I'm David Plodd. Thanks very much for joining us today, and be sure to, to drop by again for another in MLEX's ongoing series of podcasts.